Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Ready or not. Cut the music. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. I'd, I'd like to tell you that I'm going to bring you some more opinion scholarship today. It is a solo day after all, and that is what I'd, you know, I'm like to do, I suppose. But that's not what you're getting today. I'm going to do something a little different. In fact, I'm going to do something maybe a little very different. I want to talk a little bit about transgenderism today, and um, that's a topic I'm obviously a little reluctant to talk about, especially directly to you one-on-one coming from me without Kyle here, without any sort of <laughs> any sort of shield. Uh, I can't deflect. This is just you and me. You're going to hear what, what I think and what my concerns are. So I want to talk about this. Um, but before I do, and this will be brief, this will be a short one, I think. But before I do, I want to remind the audience, the people who have been listening um, for the last several years of us doing the podcast, especially those of you who listen to my solo show, um, you know, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice bloke, you know? Um, I don't harbor any ill will toward anyone or any one group. Um, also, more fundamental than that is kind of this very deep religious feeling that I have that I've talked about many times from the, the mystic experience that I had that was life-changing for me. Um, it means, and I've said this many, many times, that I believe fundamentally everything is one. You and me, we're the same, we're the same person. Ultimately, you and me are the same person. And that's true for every human being that's ever lived, um, you know, for all of time. And it extends even beyond that. It's just this idea of a divine unity of all of experience and a divine unity of consciousness and a divine unity of the cosmos. Um, I, I ultimately believe that everything is one, that oneness is God. And I say that, again, not, not that it has any bearing on this conversation today, but I say that again because I just want to emphasize to you, that's the position I'm coming from. So I want you to understand, and I think Shakespeare said it best in Romeo and Juliet, uh, when he left this unanswered question um, from from Tybalt to uh, Mercutio, Mercutio, I can't remember, but he says, the reason I have to love thee, and he doesn't answer that question, because he can't, because he, he can't say that that he's family with Mercutio, because Romeo married Juliet. He can't say that because it's a secret. He just says, the reason I have to love thee, he wants him to know there is a reason, a damn good reason, that I have to love you. And that is how I feel about all of humanity. That's how I feel about you. The reason I have to love you is deep and profound. The deepest and the most profound. The reason I have to love you 
is because you are me and I am you, fundamentally. And I believe that deeply. So I want to say that because I'm going to talk about transgender people today. Um, maybe as indirectly as I possibly can and as sensitively as I possibly can. But I've got some shit to say about it and I think it's important. And I think it's important for transgender people to hear at least the questions that I'm asking because I don't know that anybody's ever asked them that before. And even those people who maybe have ready answers to these questions, it still, I think, would be helpful to think about it longer, think about it more deeply. So I'm going to call this episode what I don't understand about transgenderism, a millennial perspective. I think it's important to bring a millennial perspective because I feel like a bit of a sandwich generation between the boomers, my parents, you know, the, the old guard, and this new up-and-coming Generation Z, Zoomer generation where we're seeing lots of social changes and a lot of desire for social changes. And they're coming from people who are very young. And that's where most of my worry comes from. Because I remember being young. I remember being very confident about things that I had no business being confident about. I remember being arrogant without having a lot of life experience. Especially as a teenager, in my early college years, thinking that I knew everything. You know how teenagers are. They think they know everything. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times life has slapped me in the face with my own ignorance, letting me know that I never should have been so confident about the things that I believed or said. So that's where I want to begin. Look, this is a dangerous topic, I know. I should probably be walking on eggshells, right? I wouldn't want to offend or, God forbid, find myself guilty of a microaggression. I guess it's just my unconscious bias. My confusion and concern must squarely lay in my own ignorance, right? I should probably stop here. Stop before I start, before I find myself on the wrong end of the mob. Canceled, doxxed, strung up as a vile example of something or other. I should probably stop thinking about it altogether. After all, who am I to have an opinion on the matter? But I have to think this through, don't I? I want to understand, to be a compassionate human being, to put myself in the shoes of those who aren't like me. If I struggle to understand them, it's all the more reason to try. But see, I can't do this without risking offense. Because I, I must honestly evaluate my own presumptions. I must speculate about what might motivate and produce such divergent worldviews from mine. And when I do, I won't be able to help judging them, at least against my own. Right? If I'm being completely honest, and it's important that I am, I don't really understand half of the language I used in this introduction so far. I'm not a boomer, I'm not a staunch conservative, I'm not a religious traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a modern man with liberal values. But the fuck if I know what microaggression is supposed to mean or why people should be guilty of unconscious bias like some secular version of original sin we inherit with the shame and blame that come along with it. I am a millennial 
I was born into the MTV generation. We bucked social norms. We never questioned the righteousness of gay rights. We came together when the towers fell and pulled ourselves apart again when race reemerged as the politician's favorite tool of division. We were taught to love our country for the opportunity it provides, for equality under the law, and for freedom of speech above all else. I myself was enamored by hip-hop culture as it rose to prominence. Imagine that. A suburban white kid with black heroes like Tupac and Biggie. This was my world. My worldview. An era when America was a real melting pot. We were free to disagree. We were free to speak our minds. And for better or worse, we melted together into a single generation of brothers and sisters with much to unite us. Today our unity is breaking down. We don't seem to share even our most basic footing. We don't speak the same language even. We don't even share the same categories. And so we don't inhabit the same reality. Even in a single household with DNA uniting us, we can't agree on something so basic as how many genders exist or what in the hell the word gender actually describes. So, in an effort to honestly and constructively air my questions, at great social risk to myself, I step up as the sacrificial lamb. For the hope of mutual understanding, I shall speak my mind. Let's begin with feminism, shall we? When I was brought up, feminism was already an established and accepted social force. And the basic argument was simple. Men and women should be as equal in the social context and in the workforce as they are under the law. Women should not be prevented from living as they wish, from joining the workforce, from doing the same jobs men traditionally do. They shouldn't, excuse me, they should have exactly the same opportunities as men and should be free to make of their lives whatsoever they choose, just as men are allowed to do. Now, we openly acknowledge the differences between the sexes, but rejected the idea that those differences should automatically limit our basic freedoms merely to accord with social norms. Where our grandparents said that a woman's duty was to her husband and her family, we said, nay, it is whatever she decides. We questioned these norms and painfully ripped them apart from biological sex. We said, sure, men can be nurses. Why not? Women in active military service? Of course. Why should women be limited to wearing dresses, playing with dolls, and keeping house? If they want to pull up their Levi's and climb a tree or play contact sports, so be it. It is their freedom, our freedom. Now, even as we millennials are becoming more conservative, as happens with age, we still agree with this sentiment. We want to be held to the same standards and to have the same opportunities, regardless of sex, for ourselves and our children. We want, for all of us, perfect freedom to explore our identities and find our paths, unencumbered by arbitrary social rules and expectations. 
We want men to feel free to cry and wear pink. For women to fight MMA and never marry if that's what they want. And it seems to me that the new generation wants the very same freedom, but with one very strange, very unanticipated spin. The new generation seems to be trying to regressively reattach what we so laboriously ripped apart. They seem to want to stitch back together sex and socially determined gender roles. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why. Like, like all of you, I see the social dialogue play out in the media and among my own friends and family. People are coming out as transgender and gender nonconforming for the first time in my grantedly limited experience. And this, I hear echoes of feminism, the same feminism I grew up with. Trans people and their many advocates are saying we should be allowed to express ourselves, to find ourselves. We should not be held back by the expectations of society, especially when we don't agree with those expectations. They say, sex should never be an obstacle to my freedom and to the formation of my most intimate identity. Yes, yes, yes. We millennials wholeheartedly agree. Our society has room for people of all stripes and flavors. And our collective soup is all the tastier for it. Now enter the trans elephant in the room. Here's where we diverge philosophically. To my mind, you can reject social norms, follow your interests, and express yourself with perfect freedom, spilling over historically accepted gender roles in every way. You can be yourself genuinely without regard to what men or women are expected to be. You can break the mold without the need to physically change your biological sex. You see, to us, Sex and gender have been severed by modernity. We have done the work to split them apart so we can be what we are regardless of biological sex. Why then, dear Zoomers, oh why, do you insist on reattaching them? You do not need to become a woman or to become a man physically in order to be what you are. You can just be it. There aren't any extra steps. I know, I know what you will say. You'll say it's not about feminism or equality. You'll say it's a deeper medical matter of gender dysphoria. You'll say it's not enough to have freedom to express yourself as you are. If you're uncomfortable in your own skin. And a question arises in me. Why are you uncomfortable in your own skin? Is it social pressure to conform to traditional gender roles that's causing it? Is it something psychological? Or, and the question must be asked, is it social pressure to be non-conforming? We cannot acknowledge the potency of traditional gender roles in society without also acknowledging the potency of this new one. I want to ask... Why you feel you must change your biological gender in order to accept your genuine self? I want to ask if you've considered what self-developing and identity-forming opportunities 
you may be missing by escaping the need to reconcile yourself to yourself. My generation, like everyone before me, had no choice but to find a way to be comfortable in their own skin, to establish their unique identity within the confines of their biology. It's not easy to be a masculine woman or a feminine man. It's not easy to be homosexual or bisexual in a world full of normies. But that's just the point. It's not easy for anyone to be who they are. The fight, the struggle, the journey is the entire point. I want to ask, can you ever really feel that you earned your identity if you insist on denying a hugely defining part of it? Honestly. In full acceptance of your struggles and the pain and suffering of such things as major surgery and the loss of the ability to procreate for the rest of your life, Can you ever say that you truly earned it? Is it possible that gender reassignment is a shortcut or a means of avoiding this critical process of self-discovery? Can you ever be your genuine self by refusing to accept yourself as you are? I worry for you younglings. I worry that the world has become too easy. I worry that you may be creating problems because there are so few pressing ones left. And I worry about the unintended consequences of the decisions of youth, which are not, cannot be guided by sufficient experience and consideration because you simply haven't had the time. I wonder if Dostoevsky's premonition is coming true at a cost we cannot know. So I'll leave you with Dostoevsky's words in the sincere hope that you rise to the challenge of your own becoming. Dostoevsky said, Shower on him every blessing. Drown him in a sea of happiness. Give him economic prosperity such that he should have nothing else to do but sleep, eat cakes, and busy himself with the continuation of the species. And even then, out of sheer ingratitude, sheer spite, Man would play you some nasty trick. He would even risk his cakes and would deliberately desire the most fatal rubbish, the most uneconomical absurdity, simply to introduce into all this positive rationality his fatal, fatalistic element, simply in order to prove to himself that men still are men and not piano keys. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know, it's not easy work, thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.